Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are watching online and also our friends in Arco, Idaho, and also the hangar in Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us today for our study of God's Word as we continue our series called The Hope Quotient. And the title of today's message, the biblical principle that we will deal with today, is Replace Burnout with Balance. We're going to start with one of the most disobeyed verses in all of American Christianity. It is one of the verses that I personally disobey on a regular basis. It is Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Let's read this out loud together. Be still and know that I am God. I confess to you. Uh, with the sprinting pace of our American culture, of our Southern California culture particularly, it is hard to obey that verse. And when we disobey it, it leads us out of balance and into burnout. Let me give you an Old Testament example and then a New Testament example. First Kings chapter 19, Elijah in the previous chapter, chapter 18, has just had God's fire from heaven come down, consume his sacrifice to vindicate his message, his preaching, and his ministry in front of the prophets of Baal. This is every pastor's dream day. And yet we as pastors joke about 1 Kings 18 is Sunday and 1 Kings chapter 19 is Monday. Every high of Sunday is followed by a low of Monday. And many a pastor wants to resign on Monday after a very exciting, that that post-adrenaline or spiritual adrenaline letdown. And that's what Elijah has on the Monday after his victorious Sunday. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets, the prophets of Baal, with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. I'm going to kill you. Now, If Elijah had obeyed that verse, and he had the Psalms, he had access to the Psalms, he is post-Psalms, so he could have read this, he would have known that if he had just, when he heard that threat, if he just got still and knew that God was God, and that God was still on his throne, and that the God that vindicated his ministry by fire from heaven the day before would protect him from this evil queen today, he would have not have done what he did. But he's beaten down, he's discouraged, he's tired. It's like the post-adrenaline letdown. And so instead of being still and knowing that God is God, he was afraid and ran for his life. Now it comes a series of bad decisions. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Now he's all alone. He doesn't have anybody to encourage him. Remember we talked a couple of weeks ago about the importance of going through life's journey with other people to pick you up when you fall down, to encourage you when you're discouraged. And so he leaves his servant there while he himself by himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. How many of you have ever been there? Okay. Now comes the New Testament example. Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, In defense of Martha, if you have Jesus over for dinner, 
you want things to turn out well. That's not the day you burn the roast. That's not the day the rolls don't turn out just right. It's not the days the mashed potatoes uh, is too salty. I mean, that, that is the day you want things right. And so she is distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? When we get discouraged, when we get burned out, first thing we say is, Lord, don't you, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. How many of you have ever been there? Been a Martha or you've been a Mary? We reenacted this in our family on Friday night. Uh, My daughter, Leah, the middle daughter, she loves throwing parties. That is her thing. Uh, She's a school teacher, but at heart, she's a party planner. And she she just, and so uh, my son, uh, Noah, my youngest son, graduated from high school on Friday. And so she wanted to throw him the mother of all graduation parties. She, and for months, she's been daydreaming about it and, and planning about it and sending out emails to the family with our list of assignments. And we have lived in fear that we would not get those done in the right time. And even though she's a school teacher and this last week was her last week in school, so very stressful. She spent much of the week working on this party, preparing for this party, and she got her husband involved and the two of them. So it's Friday night and they're out in the cold and in the dark in our backyard setting up for this party. Now, meanwhile, Abby, my other daughter, and her husband, Kenny, uh, flew in from Washington, D.C. So we're all hanging out in the kitchen visiting with each other. And she comes in and she says, Father, Dost thou not care that my sister is not helping me and has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And, uh, and, 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 and we did. We all jumped into action, and it turned out great. It turned out wonderful. But, uh, you know, that, that, that moment on Friday night was a bit of a moment, okay? You ever have one of those in your family? We did. And it all ended well, but we had our family moment. And so I said to her, like Jesus did, Leah, Leah. <laughs> Actually, I didn't. It works for Jesus, but I'm not Jesus. So at any rate... He goes, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And so Jesus in that tells us that there are higher priority ways to live your life and lower ways to live your life. And you got to figure out the difference between the two. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Jim Burns is a tremendous speaker, national speaker with family, parenting, marriage. Uh, He's out of Azusa Pacific University, tremendous speaker. A few years back, he's got this national conference and all these uh, Christian leaders at it, and he starts his his message with this. He said, "Uh, 15 years ago, I started out in ministry, and I had an affair. And the room gets quiet. And he says, and it wasn't with a woman. The room gets even quieter. And then he says, it was with my career. And every pastor in the room nods their head. Had an affair with his career. And he said, it almost made me lose the important things within my life. Boy, we've all been there, done that. Think about how much time and energy you put into your career. How you think about it all the time. How you strategize. How you, how you dream about it. How you, you put investment of your time and effort and energy into it. Imagine if we took that same energy and put it into our marriage. Imagine if we put that same energy into our relationship with the Lord. 
what, what a difference uh, it would make. He, he says this, and you'll see it there in your study outline. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy because it will have the same effect. Wow. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy because it will have the same effect, you know. Um, Dr. Richard Swenson wrote a book called Margin a few years back. Tremendous book. I'd highly recommend it to you. And he says that margin is the space between your load and your limit. And he says that we as a culture are becoming marginless. Margin is the space between your load and your limit. I've told you this story before. Guy's behind a Petco truck. And he's riding behind it. And every stoplight that the Petco truck comes to, the driver gets out with a baseball bat, bangs the side of the truck, jumps back in. Drive, and then it turns green. So he drives to the next one, turns red, jumps out, bangs the side of the truck with a baseball bat until he sees the light turn, turn red, jumps back in, drives to the next one. He does this block after block, and a guy's behind him. Finally, his curiosity gets the best of him. He jumps out of his car the next time they were at a stoplight, and he runs over to the guy just as he gets his baseball bat and goes, Sir, what are you doing? He says, Well, here's my problem. He says, I've got a one-ton capacity truck, but I've got two tons of canaries in the back. And I've got to keep a ton of canaries in the air at any given time or this thing's going to break down. That's probably not true. I, I, I don't think that's right. Sorry. Okay, but here's the problem. We have two tons on us, but we only are one-ton capacity. Here's what margin is. Margin is having a one-ton truck with a half a ton of stuff in the back. That's what margin is. Uh, he goes on uh, to describe it in his book. He says, the conditions of modern-day living devour margin. Marginless is being 30 minutes late to the doctor's office because you were 20 minutes late getting out of the hairdresser because you were 10 minutes late dropping the children off at school because the car ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station and you forgot your purse. That's marginless. Margin, on the other hand, is having breath at the top of the staircase, money at the end of the month, and sanity left over after adolescence. Marginless is the baby crying and the phone ringing at the same time. Margin is grandma taking care of the baby for the afternoon. Marginless is being asked to carry a load five pounds heavier than you can lift. Margin is having a friend to help you carry half the burden. Marginless is not having enough time to finish the book you're reading on stress. Margin is having the time to read it twice. Marginless is fatigue. Margin is energy. Marginless is red ink, margin is black ink. Marginless is hurry, margin is calm. Marginless is our culture, margin is countercultural, having some space and life in your schedule. Marginless is reality, margin is the cure. Marginless is the disease of our decade, and margin is the remedy. Okay. Uh, Ray Johnston says that discouragement often masquerades as burnout, and unchecked discouragement will kill hope. You know, sometimes when you're busy, it's fine. You're on top of it. You're running. You're having fun. But sometimes when you're discouraged, it masquerades as burnout, and that's when the things begin to crush us. Ray Johnston goes on to give some statistics. 75 to 90% of all doctor visits are for stress-related ailments and complaints. The most stressed employees to develop heart problems at a 79% higher rate than their less stressed peers. Stress is the most common cause of long-term sickness absence for employees. 43% of Americans 
between the ages of 13 and 64 say they rarely or never get a good night's sleep on weeknights. About two-thirds or 63% of Americans say their sleep needs are not met during the week. Discouragement often masquerades as burnout, and unchecked discouragement will kill your hope. Here are seven questions the Bible wants us to ask ourselves. Question number one is, is my pace of life out of control? Is my pace of life out of control? Because anything out of control is headed for a wreck. Next page of your study outline. Question number two, am I running on empty? Because it's hard to fake full. Am I running on empty? Because it's hard to fake full. You know, I can honestly never remember a time in my life that I ran out of gas. I think I did once in college, but I really can't remember. So I honestly can't remember a single time I've ever run out of gas until three weeks ago. And, and I just, my mind's been full of a lot of stuff and just thinking, thinking, thinking and busy with thoughts and stuff. So I'm on the 10 freeway going full on, you know, my son Noah's in the car. All of a sudden, car dies. I'm out of gas. So immediately, it's just like, Lord, we need an exit. There's the Fairplex Drive. So with the momentum I had, I pulled off into the exit. I start crying out, Lord, I need a gas station. Boom, there's a gas station into the exit. And I coasted a California roll through the stop sign. You know, law enforcement, please forgive me, but I looked everywhere. Nobody's there. I rolled through the stop line right up to the gas station. I'm like, yes, I never want to do that again. That was, that was terrible. And uh, uh, we, it's one thing to run out of gas on your gas tank, but it's another thing uh, with it's your emotional gas tank. You'll see the list there from Nancy Beach, your spiritual vital signs. Look at this list, and here's some very interesting questions. I found this fascinating. I hope you will as well. Ask yourself these questions, first of all, about your emotions. Have you cried lately or really laughed? That's an interesting question, isn't it? When's the last time you cried? Or when's the last time you really laughed hard? A healthy heart is fully aware of deep emotion and can name it. Here's one in the area of moments. Are you present or preoccupied? Ask your spouse, children, or friends if you're all there when you're with them. They can say whether you're skimming key relationships. I would be terrified to ask Kimberly that question. Yeah. Fun. Do you set aside time for enjoyment? Whether active sports, quiet reading, arts, or crafts. When was the last time you really had fun? People. Do you resent phone calls and people seeking you out? Or do you see them as opportunities for ministry? If you're running for cover, trying to dodge people, maybe you're overextended. Whispers. How long has it been since you heard the still, small voice of God? One of the first signs of a hardening heart is a deafened ear to the quiet promptings of God. Paul writes in Romans 14, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We are meant to have margin. We are meant to have joy. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are weary, heavy laden. I will give you rest. Learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are meant to go through life as much as possible with God's help, with righteousness, peace, and joy. Here's question number three. Am I dropping the right balls? This is so interesting. 
Am I dropping the right balls because some balls don't bounce back? One of the most fascinating quotes I've seen lately is from Brian Dyson, who's the CEO of Coca-Cola Enterprises. And this was so helpful to me. Because what we do is we try not to drop balls, right? How many of you have balls in the air, juggling balls? And you try not to drop any of them. But here's what he said. Imagine life as a game in which you are juggling five balls in the air. You name them. Work, family, health, friends, and spirit. And you're keeping all of these in the air. You will soon understand that work is a rubber ball. If you drop it, it will bounce back. But the other four balls, family, health, friends, and spirit, are made of glass. If you drop one of these, they will be irrevocably scuffed, marked, nicked, damaged, or even shattered. They will never be the same. Isn't that powerful? I thought about that. That's that's so true. That When I drop balls at work, I mean, it, it just means a lousy sermon, okay? But... Maybe I'll bounce back next Sunday. Maybe not, you know? Or, or you forget to make a phone call, and you're, you're, that's not cool that you did that. But it bounces. It's a rubber ball. It'll, it'll bounce back. I would have done it here, except it's carpeting, and so it wouldn't work. But that ball will bounce back. But think about the other balls that you're juggling. Family, health, spirit, relationships, your walk with God. You know, some of those things, when you drop those balls, they are made of glass, and they don't necessarily bounce back. They, they get scuffed. They get chipped. They might even shatter. So ask the question, am, am, am I dropping the right balls? You know, we've used that illustration up here before where you take a bucket and you put, you got big rocks and small rocks. And if you put the small rocks in first, you never can fit in the big rocks. But if you put the big rocks in first, then you can put the secondary, you can put the small rocks in and they fit. And both of them fit as long as you put the big rocks in first. So we're making sure that the high-priority items happen first. Only two things are going to last forever, people and God's Word. Only two things that are going to last for eternity, people and the Word of God. Are we putting the big rocks in first and then letting the littler rocks fall into place? That's why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You see, every time I say yes to a secondary priority, it weakens my yes to a primary priority. Let me repeat that. Every time I say yes to a secondary thing in life, uh, it weakens my ability to say yes to a primary thing in life. And every time I say no to a secondary thing, it strengthens my yes to one of the important eternal things that I can say yes to. My no strengthens my yes. My yes weakens my yes. Question number four, have I stopped believing that I'm invincible? Because there is a God and I'm not him. Romans 4 verse 30, or Deuteronomy 4 verse 35, you were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him, there is no other. There is no other. Uh, there is a God, and, and I'm not him. There was this guy, I heard a story, habitually brought home his work from the office uh, every day. And his kindergartner daughter uh, said to him, Daddy, why do you always bring your work home you know, from the office? And he says, well, I don't get it finished at work. And his little girl had a sweet smile and said to him, well, Daddy, maybe they should put you in a slower group. 
นี่เราเราอยู่ในประตูเกรดไม่ใช่ในบลูเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดคุณทำให้ช้าขึ้นกลุ่มเบลูเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ดไม่ใช่ในเรดเบิร์ด Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, "Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest." So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. I tell you, Jesus had a thousand days, three-year ministry, a thousand days to launch a movement that would end up being the biggest, fastest-growing movement in all of world history, most pervasive. Bigger today, growing faster today than at any time in its history. Two thousand years later, I'm telling you, if I got to launch a, mo- a movement like that in a thousand days, I'm not taking any days off. You know, and yet, what does Jesus say? He says to his disciples, "Look, guys, we got to come away by yourselves to a quiet place, and you need to get some rest." So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. You know, not a lot of life is like surfing. You got to catch the waves when they come. Okay, you got Sometimes you got to catch a wave at work or in your personal life. You got to catch a wave. But when in between the waves there is calm ocean, you've got to disconnect for a while to restore your batteries in preparation for the next wave. Now, some of the surfers came up to me after the 8:30 service and says it's an, it's not a good analogy because the work is all getting out to the wave and then you ride the wave back. But that's why I shouldn't use surfing analogies when I'm not a surfer, you know. But 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 you know how it is in life. You sometimes you got to catch those times. Now even on the waves, there's still time that you got to call time out. We're going to look at that in just one second. And so we've got to divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. A divert daily. Um, and I know this is different in different work with 12-hour shifts and things like that. But in general. Uh, you got three parts of your day. You've got the early morning till noon, and then noon till five, and then you've got five until you go to bed at night. And and usually, when you get in trouble, if too many times in a row you work three of those quadrants within your day, that's what often leads to trouble. That you need to divert daily. Let me ask you another question: Do you have something fun to look forward to every day? I mean, even in my busiest days, when I've spent the whole day just with family and work. I'll just take 20 minutes at the end of the day, and and my favorite thing is just to pull out my phone and just read the news and read the sports news for just 20 minutes before I go to sleep. And I'll look forward to that all day long. That 20 minutes at the end of the day, just just to do that. Maybe for you, it's reading a book, or maybe it's a favorite TV program. But you got to have some kind of diversion on a daily basis. Divert daily, withdraw weekly. Now this one is in the Bible. It's called the Sabbath. And the and God says you take one day out of seven, and it's different for different professions. If you're in the medical profession, maybe it can't be Sunday. If you're in law enforcement, it can't be Sunday. But God says take one day out of seven, and set that aside uh, to pursue Him, to withdraw uh, weekly. I heard a story about a lady who was upset with her pastor, and she grabs her pastor at church, and he says, "You know, I called you all day Monday, and I could never get in touch with you on Monday." He goes, "Well, Monday's my day off." Lady says, "Well, the devil never takes a day off," and he said to her, "Well, when he becomes my role model, I'll let you know." You know, 
And so God says that we're to withdraw weekly. We divert daily, we withdraw weekly, and we abandon annually. This is interesting. Americans are losing this concept. Front page of Time Magazine last week says, Who killed the summer vacation? And the picture has got a lifeguard stand probably here in Newport Beach or someplace, and it's an empty beach. And it talks about how the summer vacation, Americans are working so frantically and so hard and so all the time that they are, Pete Wilson, how do you do that? I have no idea. Yeah, I didn't tell him to do that, and he just pops that thing up. He's, he's amazing. Isn't our media guy amazing? He's just like, I just think it and it happens. This is crazy. But, but, you know, we've lost the art of disconnecting annually. And so we're to divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon uh, annually. Question number six, do I understand that God makes a big deal of this? Because this really is the fourth commandment. I mean, think about it. To keep the Sabbath, it's in there with don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't bow down to idols. And right in the middle of it is the Sabbath principle. Now, it's not a legalistic thing, but it is a biblical principle. And the problem is, We've gone so far, you know, we, we were raised, many of us, with a legalistic Sunday. How many of you had a more legalistic Sunday when you grew up? Okay. But now we've so reacted that we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And now Sunday looks like any other day. And like I said, for you, maybe it can't be Sunday. For me, it's Monday. For, for you, maybe it's a different day because of your work schedule or whatever. But now it just kind of looks like all the other days And we have lost a blessing. Jesus said the Sabbath, we were not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man and women. And it was made to be a blessing to people. I love this verse. You know, I've shared it many times before. In Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments, you have the Sabbath, um, you know, know, to keep the Sabbath. But now it's repeated 14 chapters later, and it's repeated with a little P.S. at the end. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest, Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. Even when you are surfing the wave, even when you are catching the wave, because you know what the deception of that is. How many of you say, oh, you know, honey, I just have a wave going on at work right now. And that wave lasts weeks, months, maybe even years. Okay, I just got this project. And and when when it's done, I'll, I'll start getting more balance. My assistant, Bev Mowdy, she makes fun of me because she says, I have lived for, well, now, you know, 22 years here, but 30, 40 years with the illusion that I'm one week away from my schedule clearing up. And she just laughs at me when I say, well, it'll clear up in this date. And, and, and it just, it never does. We live with this illusion that, that we're gonna, that we don't have to keep the Sabbath right now because after all, we're in this busy season. And he says, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. Now, what are we supposed to do on the Sabbath? We're to rest physically. Uh, You know, right up there with communion and baptism is the Sunday afternoon nap. It's a sacrament, okay? At least it was in my family growing up. Uh, we're, We're to rest. You know, during the French Revolution, they outlawed the Sabbath in the French Revolution. You know what happened? They had a national health crisis. The health of the nation of France broke as a nation, and they had to reinstate the Sabbath and do away with outlawing it, which they did at the beginning of the French Revolution. We're to refocus spiritually. I'm preaching to the choir. Here you are at church, you know, in the morning, uh, on, on Sunday. 
and that recharges us emotionally. You know, I don't have time to get into it, but write down Leviticus 26, verses 34 and 35. Leviticus, um, what did I just say? 36. Uh, Leviticus um, 26, excuse me. Leviticus 26, verses 34 and 35. Fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, There was a Sabbath for the land as well. And the book of Leviticus is just amazing how God gave us these things 3,500 years ago, and now scientists are just discovering why they're true. Okay? And one of them was land rest and, and how one year out of seven they were to rest the land. And there was a warning that said, if you don't do this, God will get the land to rest, but it won't be in a way you like. And they disobeyed it for 490 years. And in 586 B.C., the Iraqis, the Babylonians, came in, took them into captivity, and they were in captivity for how many years? Seventy years. Seventy out of the 490. So 70 times 7 is 490. And so it got the 70 Sabbaths that they had neglected over a 490-year period. Is that crazy? And, And that's totally, you can just line that up with the history of it, and it's just a miraculous thing how that God worked that out. So do I understand that God makes a big deal of this? And then question number seven, am I putting first things first? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. And we're about to share the Lord's Supper. And the first thing to do is to make him the Lord of your life in order for these other things to fall into place. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay? And, and this is the first principle Because we can have spiritual burnout trying to earn our way to salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not from works, lest anybody should boast. And you know what we tend to do? Spiritually is where we get burnout the most. We try to earn favor with God. We try to work to get right with God. We try to follow a list of do's and avoid a list of don'ts. And we work, work, work. And God says you got to simply accept it as a gift by grace. You say, Glenn, I'm not sure if I've done that or if I'd like to do that today. How would I do it? Upper left-hand corner of the next page, you'll see the steps for being a follower of Jesus. And there's a little suggested prayer. And if you've prayed that prayer in the past or if you'd like to pray it today, you are very welcome uh, to share the Lord's Supper with us. But it's by grace by gift of God, through Jesus, not through our own effort. This uh, past week, um, Leah commanded us to clean up the yard in the back where the party was going to be, and we got our edict from above that we were to do this. So, so we, I hired a dumpster, and I've hardly ever done this before, and so I did a bad job of it and over-ordered. I got the biggest dumpster that's in the history of dumpsters. I mean, in some ways it wasn't my fault because there was a choice between a smaller one and a big one. And I heard the dimensions over the phone, but when it actually arrived, it was gigantic. And all my neighbors were making fun of me. Are there bodies in there? Or, you know, you're going to put a car in there or whatever, you know. So I had this giant dumpster in the front yard, all my neighbors teasing me about it for the week. But we had plenty of room to put stuff into it, okay? And it was really high. And so all week long, I'm hauling boards up and pushing them over the side of this and concrete blocks and over the side. I had this one, one about a 100-pound piece of concrete, and I couldn't get it up beyond this. So I step on a stool, and the stool's like, well, and I finally pushed it over. I'm doing this all week long. My son John comes to help me on the last day, seventh day, that we had it. And he watches me for a while. And he goes, Dad, what are you, what are you doing? I said, well, you got to push it over the side. He goes, Dad, there's a door on this. On the, on this. 
That's why I, I hope you guys never fire me because I can't do anything else. Okay, this, this is what I do. This is it. This is it. Tomiko's husband is a head of a construction company, and I said, I leaned to Tomiko during communion last service. I said, Chris is never going to hire me. He is never going to hire me. But you know, the beauty of those moments are, there's a great sermon illustration in this, okay, <laughs> is that we spend our lives working and pushing it over and pushing it over. Got to earn God's favor. God's earn. And Jesus said, there's a door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And that door is the cross of Jesus. And that's why we remember it through the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. Let's take a moment and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.